0: Hello and welcome back to New Books in History. My name is Zach McCulley and today I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Gordon, the Titus Street Professor of Ecclesiastical History at Yale University and author of a new biography out this month with Yale University Press titled Zwingli, God's Armed Prophet. Bruce, congratulations on the book and thanks thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Zach. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, Bruce, before we discuss the book, uh, can you tell our listeners some about your background and what you've written in the past? Sure. Uh,
1: I grew up in Canada, uh, the western prairies of Canada, and then studied for many years in Nova Scotia on the East Coast, Uh, made my way across the Atlantic to Scotland, St. Andrews, where I did my PhD, and during that time spent a lot of time in Switzerland. I went back to uh after i finished my phd went back to scotland and then spent a few years in germany and uh, back in canada and then back in scotland again where i taught for 15 years in the department of history at at st andrews before coming in 2008 to to yale where i've been uh, married with a daughter who's now 23 and uh, we live in in new haven
0: so very good well as we turn to the book Now, um, I'd like to invite you just to walk us through the book, uh, introduce us uh, to Zwingli and Mm -hmm. to some of the themes and Mm -hmm. cast of characters that appear (laughs) here in the book. Sure. Uh,
1: uh, Zwingli will probably be less familiar to many people who know about the Reformation, not nearly as well known as as Luther or Calvin, some of the other figures, but he is um, extremely important for a number of reasons he's an exact contemporary of martin luther so that he's born um, in the next year from from martin luther so they're they're almost exactly the same age he's born in switzerland um, in in a peasant really in an alpine valley Uh, he is a very prodigious young man who who gets a, a very good education and becomes one of the most well-educated humanists of of his time, which meant that he studied Greek and then later Hebrew, uh, classical uh, literature of both Greece and, and Rome. Uh, he was heavily influenced by the great humanist Erasmus. He becomes a priest and while he's a priest he accompanies the Swiss mercenaries the soldiers who were hired by the papacy down in and the king of France down into Italy this is the around the year 1515 the great battle of Marignano uh, Zwingli is there he's not a soldier but he's there as a priest with the soldiers and these wars in Italy are a terrible massacre and and the mercenary service plays a huge role in Zwingli's life he is he's deeply disillusioned, shocked really by his experience in war. And he starts to see the mercenary service, which is so crucial for the Swiss in this period. Switzerland is not, as we imagine it now, a very wealthy country in the century. It was very poor, Alpine, uh, struggling uh, subsistence, farming, uh, a number of cities, but certainly not an area of anything like the wealth that we would associate it now. And one of the ways for these poor areas of the country to survive was for young men to enter into mercenary service for foreign leaders, King of France, the Pope, various others. And Zwingli came to see this mercenary service as a... A, a moral catastrophe. This was it was destroying the the land. Most of these young men were dying and never coming back. The money that was flowing into the country to recruit these was was leading to political corruption and what he saw as moral turpitude. So he comes out of this this world and um and and he has a kind of conversion experience as a priest. He's being very close to Erasmus. He embraces this idea that. Um the Bible alone is authoritative, and that it's crucial to, to learn Latin and Greek to be able to understand uh, the Bible. So he's highly educated, but he has a conversion experience around the year 1516, which is before he really knows about Martin Luther. So he has this experience on his own. He wants to become a priest who is engaged in reform, he begins to preach from the Bible. He begins this what will be a journey towards a new religious vision, and this is what's important about Zwingli. He goes to the city of Zurich. It, by that, after a few years, he introduces the Reformation, and he introduces a completely new vision of what the Christian community, and what the Christian church should be. It's really the beginning point of what becomes known as the Reformed tradition of of Christianity, sometimes called Calvinism because of John Calvin, who comes later, but I think more appropriately called the Reformed tradition. We tend to look back to Calvin and Geneva as the beginning point of this, but Calvin inherited this tradition. He's of the next generation. He inherited this tradition from Zwingli, uh, in Zurich, so this Zwingli so is a very creative spirit. He envisages this idea of what church and society can look like. and so although he's he's less well known, uh, he is he is really the beginner of a, or the founder of a of a whole branch of of Christianity we can talk about this. He is a very controversial figure. He's a very uh, controversial preacher. He gets involved in politics. He gets involved in the wider politics of the, of the Swiss confederation, which eventually leads to war. And he has attitudes that actually embrace uh war as a necessary part of religious reform. And most spectacularly, he dies in battle in 1531. And that's one of the reasons why his, his legacy is so deeply problematic.
0: Well, yeah, well, Bruce, that's a, that's a helpful kind of overview of Zwingli's life. And you know one of the unique things about the book um, is how you're, you're sort of unpicking these different layers of Zwingli and, and how he could be a, actually a, a pretty complicated person and hold different beliefs, sometimes in tension, if not in conflict, um, so that's one of the good things I think that comes out in the book. You know, it's also great how you're, you're drawing on Zwingli and these different relationships he has with, uh, different people, uh, here in the book. Um, so just following up on sort of that overview, I want to ask about his relationship with Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you now Zwingli's relationship with Luther, it's almost always going to come up in any in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in mm-hmm. talk about, mm-hmm. about Zwingli. Mm-hmm. Um, and you tell us in the book that Retelling that relationship, it even has its own history. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have some people who will say Zwingli's you know, building on Luther, others he's independent of Luther. Why is the narrative between, uh, or the narrative of Luther and Zwingli more, more complicated than?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to, to make a, a long story short, for Luther, Zwingli was the great demon. He was he was the most dangerous opponent that he faced, um, and he refused really any opportunity to to uh, be reconciled uh, with Swingley because he thought that Swingley had uh, beyond any form of reconciliation distorted Christianity. This is a story that begins though uh, much earlier, as I said before. There. They're almost exactly the same age. They have very different lives. So Luther becomes the the monk. He goes through uh, a severe spiritual crisis. Um, He becomes a professor at uh, the University of Wittenberg. He has the dramatic story of, of the 95 Theses, and then is, becomes the, the great villain of the papacy. In response, he sees the papacy as antichrist. So there's this spectacular battle around Luther. And Luther, of course, is associated with the great uh, and central ideas of the Reformation, justification by faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, these, these ideas. So Luther is... And in the German-speaking world, the Reformation is Martin Luther, and that remains the case to this day. Uh, The Reformation is almost entirely defined by the figure of Martin Luther, dominant. The anniversary of the Reformation 2017 in German lands was all about Luther. Nobody else was really uh, a very significant uh, uh, player in, in the story. So there is this idea that for German Lutheranism and for uh, Germans as a whole, um, that the Reformation is all about Martin Luther. And that idea has, has not only in Germany, but, but beyond been very much the, the sense that Luther is the Reformation. Well, Zwingli is a complication in that story because, as I mentioned before, he goes to the city of Zurich. He creates a different form of Christianity from Luther. Uh, which has different aspects to it. One of them is that Zwingli creates a a vision of the Christian community where the political authorities and the religious authorities are as one, so that that the political community, the the whole community, is also the church. He has a vision of of Reformation, which embraces many of Luther's ideas, such as justification by faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone. On these points, they're very much in agreement. But they look at the Bible and on significant issues, see very different things, most notably around the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And this is a complicated story with a very long history, as you say, Zach. It it continues for centuries, a sort of division between Reformed Christianity and Lutheran Christianity, and even uh, within those two camps, uh, divisions. But essentially, it comes down to a question of this. When Christ says, this is my body, this is my blood, the Catholic doctrine was that in the Mass, the bread, and wine really become, really physically become the body and blood of Christ. Christ is physically present at the sacrament. Luther criticizes this, but he still wants to have a notion of the sacrament in which Christ is present. Many of his uh, uh, critics say that he still sails very closely to the Catholic position. Zwingli, following on from uh, his great mentor, Erasmus, uses a sort of Pauline language which divides much more strictly what he sees as flesh and spirit, body and spirit. And that is that, so therefore, that the sacrament must be entirely spiritual. Christ cannot be physically uh, present because, as the Creed says, Uh, He has ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. His body is no longer in the world. So that the sacrament is about the spiritual feeding of the faithful. It cannot in any way be about a real presence of the body. That seems like an arcane uh, distinction, which is often difficult to understand, but it really stands behind two quite different views of how God is present in the world. And that question got tied up with a whole lot of politics in the Holy Roman Empire and in the Swiss Confederation. And so the story is not simply theological, it's political, but it's also deeply personal. Luther saw Zwingli as a threat they both saw themselves as prophets as we know prophets don't tend to get along with each other very well if one is a prophet the other ones tend to be false prophets in in their eyes and that was certainly how Luther regarded Zwingli he thought that Zwingli had corrupted the reading of the bible had corrupted the sacraments he called Zwingli and his followers fanatics um and he had they there could be no communion with him he would not reconcile they did meet in 1529 at a conference uh, in which they agreed between the parties on a lot of theological issues but they did not agree on the lord's supper so the lord's supper became a symbol of the splitting of the reformation Into various parties, the Lutherans, the Reformed. And so the the Lord's Supper not only is a theological question, becomes a kind of physical symbol of how the Reformation broke apart really in its earliest years, and how Reformers could look at the Bible, which they said, you know, was the truth and that the Bible interprets itself. But yet when they looked at it, they saw two very different things, and that's precisely what their Catholic opponent said of them, that it, they, theirs was just a divided house of chaos, which was proof that they were all heretics. You mentioned the afterlife of this. Uh, the book is very interested in how those divisions and um, uh, carry on long after Luther and Zwingli uh, are dead. They define a large part of protestant culture not only in europe but in 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 the americas and and beyond it's notions of of religious identities uh, the way in which they continue to be tied up in in politics and there is to this day still uh, differences between the ways in which um reformers or that those who are in protestant communities view the sacraments so the, the debate has, has, has a long history, but it's tied up in a whole range of other issues as it was for both Luther and, and, and Zwingli. It was personal, it was political, it was theological, and you can't separate any of these things up. They were two very, very different people. And it's unlikely that they ever really would have seen eye to eye. But the consequences of their their fight with one another was disastrous for the Reformation. It split it at a time when uh, it would have had a chance to have been a much more successful movement than it was. But the Reformation fragmented, and that is part of what is
0: the tragedy of the early years of that movement. That's really helpful, Bruce. I appreciate it. You know, another fascinating feature of the book, something that stuck out to me, was how you're describing Zwingli and his writing and his thinking. Yeah. Um, you say, you know, he, he lacked a bit of organization. Um, you, you tell us that he, he appreciated the classical authors, um, that that he could be poetic. Um, he was convictional, uh, but would follow those convictions a bit chaotically or, or rather than uh, you know, systematically. Um, I'm wondering if you can elaborate on, on Zwingli in this respect and, and maybe tell us how, how does he relate to you know, some of these classical authors mm-hmm. and maybe how they shape um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his approach to, to matters that were important to him?
1: Sure. Uh, as I mentioned before, he's extremely well-educated. He studies at university. He has a master's in, in the arts. He also studies theology. He's also uh, a serious autodidact. We know from his early years as a priest, he was collecting books, which, and we have his notes in the books so that we know that he was carefully reading the works of Greek and Roman authors. He was reading the uh, works of medieval Uh, theologians. He was reading contemporary works, particularly, as I mentioned before, the great Erasmus, who is an enormous inspiration of this model of how the classical and the Christian can be brought together, that they are reconcilable. It's not a case of pagan and Christian, but that God actually worked through the classical world, although they may not have known Christ or have known God in, in the the Christian or Jewish way, but that there is wisdom in the classical world that is inherited by the Christian. And so that's how Zwingli viewed himself and the world, that that classical education was a way of reforming the world. And that's one of the You asked about Luther and Zwingli. One of the differences that marks out Zwingli and the kind of formation of the reformed tradition is this huge optimism that the world itself can be reformed, that the church can be reformed, and that education is a motor of change. The long tradition of reformed Christianity and education, the building of schools and universities and academies, comes out of this conviction that that Zwingli has that, that education Will make the world more godlike not perfect, but that it will transform, so that the Christian life can be one of of learning and of piety, and these are not separate things; they belong together, so this is one of his motivating convictions. And you say he was not only deeply learned, he was a poet. He was a great writer of music. He performed Greek plays in Zurich after he was a reformer, and he even wrote the music uh, for them. He edited uh, works of Greek poets. Um, He loved literature. He loved the study of of history. He loved music. Um, He was a very talented musician. He played many uh, many instruments. But the other thing is, you know, the this, this slightly this sort of chaotic side, that's something we need to remember, that these reformers did not just sit in a study and write works of theology. Zwingli never had time for that. He arrives in Zurich in 1519. In 1531, he's dead. He writes an enormous amount during those 12 years. The you know, editions of his work run to many, many volumes. How did he do this? He did it at great speed, often staying up most of the night to write so that he could get the work to the publisher the next morning. But he, almost all of his writing is responding to the kind of maelstrom of events that are happening, most of which outside his control, opponents writing against him, political events that are happening, uh, revolts like the peasants' war, or the growth of um, a dissident movement who become known as the Anabaptists, who were close friends of his, but end up rejecting him. Uh, So there's constant conflict, to say nothing, of of Luther and the sacraments uh, and the poisonous relations with the Lutherans in in Germany. There are uh, communities spreading across Switzerland into Italy, into France, and north into Germany who are following Zwingli's theology. So they're constantly asking him questions. So he's constantly writing letters. We know from his own account that he stays up all night practically writing letters to all the people who want to hear from him. He exists within these networks of correspondence. So basically, he's working flat out for 12 years. And the theologies he writes are all rarely simply what we might call systematic works that he could spend lots of time working through. They're often polemical. They're often written very quickly. Uh, and and we're seeing his thought. Forming as as the years go past, we're seeing his ideas taking shape, but they're all taking shape in the kind of fires of conflict and and polemic and and changing situations and social unrest and all the things that the Reformation uh, you know brings in the 1520s, and that's what I try and. Do in this book is to see that there are many different things happening at the same time it's not just about reformers writing works of theology and these ideas being implemented these movement was in many ways out of control and nobody knew where it was going the reformation was not obvious it was not obvious it was going to succeed it's a very chaotic movement and zwingli is a good way for us to see how it was a movement that was constantly in flux
0: That's really helpful, Bruce. Um, You know, another another question I have here as as we're starting to wrap up is about what what present conversations um, we could have as a result of reading a book like this. Um, The book has value for how how we can think about things, um, like human agency, you mentioned change, conflict, even a personality like like Zwingli. What do you expect there as far as um how your readers may receive this yes but well i mean perhaps we could start with his end he
1: dies in battle he goes into a battle dressed in armor there's a nighttime uh, ambush he's killed his body is is cut into four by the catholic forces he's given a ritual uh trial as a um, heretic and then the body is burnt so there's no body there's no funeral for him uh the whole thing almost collapses after after he's he's dead and one of the things the book is about is about the role of violence and religion and in many ways about how the reformation is not just a you know a nice story of martin luther nailing 95 theses to the door and then you know the the evil Catholics and and the Protestants who kind of save Christianity, which is something of the story I grew up with. It's about the complexities of reform in this period and showing that many Catholics were in favor of reform. Those who are called Anabaptists were visionaries of reform. Zwingli had his notion. There are contesting notions of what reform should be, but but that brings up the question of, of who is right and who is going to enforce that position. Zwingli ties church reform very closely to political authority and he's able to use that political authority to have military authority to enforce this. It all goes badly wrong and he dies, but it leaves us to think in 2021 about questions relating to coercion and force and religion, to think about how the Reformation has at its roots a considerable amount of violence, uh, to consider uh, questions of coercion why is it that the Anabaptists, two years after uh, the Reformation is implemented in Zurich in fifteen twenty five, in fifteen twenty seven, Anabaptists, those who oppose, who are Protestants, who opposed Zwingli, are being put to death? So the persecuted have become the persecuting church, and that's Protestantism. So the story is is more complex, and I think you know, in twenty nineteen was the anniversary of Zwingli, and the, there were there uh, were various events in, in, in Zurich in Switzerland and across the world, which, you know, really is how does a modern secular society, uh, remember a highly religious and contentious event from 500 years ago. I think the story offers us a lot to think about the place of religion and society and the complicated world of religious change.
0: Well, Bruce, you've been generous with your time now. um, It's been a real pleasure to hear from you about the book. Um, Maybe before we we go, though, um, can you tell our listeners about uh, what writing projects you (laughs) may have next, what what we can look out for?
1: Um, Well, I have a a big project which sort of moves away from the Swiss Reformation and from Zwingli and moves away in part from the Reformation. Uh, I'm writing a book called The Bible, A Global History, which is looks at the bible from when it emerges as a book the, so around the fourth and fifth centuries and its journey through many different cultures to our own time so uh, across when it becomes a book really of the whole world and so it's it's about the many lives of a of a bible over um you know more than 1500 years so
0: Good. Well, I'm looking out for that. And uh, it'd be great to maybe talk about that book in the future on New Books Network. Uh, For now, though, thank you for writing this book, uh, Zwingli, God's Armed Prophet. It's out now with Yale University Press. And Bruce, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for asking me. And thank you all for listening. I'll see you next time on New Books in History, channel on the New Books Network.